0: This is Matt Raymond at the Library of Congress. Each year, thousands of book lovers of all ages visit the nation's capital to celebrate the joys of reading and literacy at the National Book Festival, sponsored by the Library of Congress and hosted by First Lady Laura Bush. Now in its eighth year, this free event held on the National Mall Saturday, September 27th will spark readers' passion for learning as they interact with the nation's best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. Even if you can't attend in person, you can still participate online. These podcasts and other materials will be available through the National Book Festival website at www.loc.gov bookfest. Now my privilege to talk with the renowned children and teens author Joseph Bruchac. He is best known for his work as a Native American writer and storyteller. He's written more than 120 books including The First Strawberries, March Toward the Thunder, and his autobiography Bowman's Store. He has also penned various anthologies of contemporary poetry and fiction. Among them are Songs from This Earth on Turtle's Back and Returning the Gift. His work has been featured by more than 500 publications, ranging from the American Poetry Review to National Geographic. His numerous honors include the Cherokee Nation Prose Award, the Rhode Island Children's Book Award, and the Hope S. Dean Award for Notable Achievement in Children's Literature. Mr. Bruchak, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about how you first became interested in writing.
1: I was a very avid reader when I was a child, And I also was a good listener. I'd listen to people come to my grandparents' general store and tell stories about their experiences, about the past, about working in the woods. And I'd read the books that my grandmother had in her house. Every every room in the house had books in it. So at a very early age, I was being inspired by both hearing and reading stories, which led me to want to tell and write stories of my own
0: and and how has your how has your heritage um uh, influenced your writing and and played into uh into your creative process
1: well my family uh, on my mother's side is american indian we have abenaki ancestry but as a child although i was aware of that ancestry no one would talk about it it was one of those times in history when unfortunately people in a certain minority felt threatened by being classified as different so my grandparents line was always um you know, we don't talk about that, or my grandfather would say, I'm French, because of course, French Canada is where the uh, two different contemporary reserves of Abenaki people, where my great-grandparents came from, are located. So that created a great curiosity in my Mm -hmm. mind, and I think that I was more interested in finding out about that native heritage, because I was denied it as a child, than had I been immersed in it, and uh, again, followed the path in that direction. I also found myself fascinated by various native people I knew as a child growing up, friends of the family, people I would meet who were um, elders and storytellers, often working at tourist attractions in the Adirondack Mountains region. So in a way the path was being laid out for me, although I didn't realize it was a path until I started following it.
0: Do young people today have a a realistic view or misconceptions about uh, our nation's native people and cultures and their contributions?
1: Well, interestingly enough, certain misconceptions continue to be perpetuated. One of them is that American Indian people, Native Americans, are part of the past but not part of the present, and that the only way to be a real Indian is to appear and dress and behave as a Plains Indian would in the mid-1800s. And I think that misconception does an injustice to people who are, who are like everyone else, Uh, varied in their uh, experiences and in their background, and yet their heritage is of great importance to them.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your latest book, March Toward the Thunder. I understand that it's based on the experiences of your own great grandfather?
1: Yeah, interestingly enough, talking about a multicultural experience, my great-grandfather was a soldier in the American Civil War in the campaign of 1864 in Virginia. He was Abenaki Indian, he came from Canada, And he enlisted and joined the fighting 69th, the Irish Brigade. So he was an American Indian in a group of soldiers who were largely Irish
0: immigrants. Now, um, where do you get your story ideas from? What inspires you?
1: I'm inspired by many different things. Often I'm inspired by experiences I've had, books I've read, people I've met, stories I've heard. And in the case of March Toward the Thunder, from my early childhood on, my grandfather would talk about how his father had served in the Civil War, and when I was a child, we would make trips down to Virginia to visit relatives and walk across those battlefields without my really knowing much about it except the whole general history of the Civil War that we were given in school at the time. But it made me want to know more, to do the research, to find out the story in in real depth, and that particular story turned out to be one that was much more complicated and interesting than i'd even thought it was when i started working on it
0: now i know that uh, as a professional storyteller you've traveled um, much of this country and mm-hmm. and much of europe uh, what is it like to bring your stories to so many wide-ranging and diverse audiences
1: one thing you find is that if you say i'm going to tell a story wherever you are in the world people prick up their ears and listen because storytelling to me is the oldest and perhaps the first way we have a sharing our humanity, our common experience, and passing on lessons that I think need to be learned in a way that's enjoyable to hear.
0: Now, your body of work is, is itself quite diverse. Uh, it includes, as I've said, poetry, fiction, plays, and songs. What is your method for creating these, and how, how do you balance or allocate your time? Is, is there one in particular that you like more than any other?
1: It's, it's interesting. I think I've, I've really been blessed by the Creator, With the ability to express myself in these various creative forms and in a sense they come to me i remember for example when i was teaching as a volunteer in west africa uh, about 40 years ago i met an elderly man who was a writer of songs and he said the songs come to me at night and wake me up (laughs) and i know exactly what he was talking about sometimes things just come to me literally in the night, and I have to get up and start writing them down without quite knowing what they are or where they're going to take me.
0: I think oftentimes an author has um, maybe a goal or a message in mind uh, in advance or when they're in in the middle of their creative process. What is it that you hope your own readers and fans take away from your work and from your stories?
1: Well, to begin with, I want to tell a good story. A story that people will listen to and that they'll think this is true, even if it is a story that might be defined as as myth or legend or even fanciful. It has to have truth within it. And I also think there are certain goals that that we as human beings have to aspire towards. One is hearing each other and understanding each other, and another is the importance of living together in harmony. That idea of peace and balance is very, very important to me, even in my novels that are about war the idea of peace is always in the
0: background we talked about your great grandfather is it typical that you uh, base characters on on actual people or relatives of yours i think
1: every writer will tell you that their characters are always partially themselves <laughs> who i am and what i've experienced is always there in part of my characters and the people that i meet are also the people who turn into my stories but i think sometimes there are very original characters who who show up, and I'm not sure where they come from. Sometimes, of course, they're historical figures, and I've immersed myself very, very deeply in research and in trying to hear their voice and understand their story and see through their perspective, or perhaps even to, to speak their language. If I'm working, for example, on something that uh, has a person in it who, who speaks, for example, Slovak in Europe, I would study, as I've been doing, the Slovak language, because I'm just finished writing a novel that takes place in medieval Slovakia.
0: (laughs) Now I think one of the more interesting things in your biography is the fact that you directed a college program inside a maximum security prison.
1: Yes, for eight years.
0: What what are your goals in, in doing that? How do you how do you get those students to appreciate literature and writing and and were there any success stories that really stood out for you?
1: Well, it all started when I was a volunteer going into prisons and teaching creative writing workshops. I did that for several years before I was hired by Skidmore College to create this program inside a maximum security prison. It was a full-scale college program. And what I found was it was not hard at all to inspire people because most of the people in American prisons, um, apart from those who are really, really horrible human beings, and there always are a few of those, are people who have made a mistake or have not had opportunity in their lives, and very few of them have had much education. If they have a high school degree, it's through a general equivalency diploma, not through finishing high school. So there was a real hunger for learning and for personal growth in a way that was not possible anywhere else within the prison environment. These were people who wanted to break the cycle of crime, incarceration, and recidivism. They really wanted to make something of their lives. And they got tremendously excited about poetry and literature, more so than the average college class, because this meant literally life and death to them in a way that it often doesn't to a person who's just past their teens or in their early 20s and may not fully appreciate the opportunity that college education has offered them.
0: And this made a difference for them.
1: It made a great difference indeed. And I was always inspired by those men and women I worked with in prisons, and I remain inspired by them to this day.
0: Now, you're also founder and co-director of the Greenfield Review Literary Center mm-hmm. and the Greenfield Review Press. What what, drive, or what drove you, should I say, to take on such a project, and how do you balance the career between author and publisher?
1: Well, to put it very, very quickly, I was, as you know, a volunteer teacher, as I said, in Africa for three years, and I was very distant from the American literary uh, scene at that time. So when I came back to the United States, starting a literary magazine was a way to reconnect with that scene, not to publish myself. That really has never been one of my objectives, but to reconnect with the writers who were out there. And also, because of my experience in another country and my awareness that had grown of the importance of the literature of the world, I wanted to provide a forum for new and established writers from many different backgrounds and from other countries. And so as a publisher, We published books, for example, we published Leslie Silko's first book, a book of poetry, Gary Soto's first book, a book of poetry, a a collection of poetry by Kofi Awunar, one of the contemporary poets of West Africa who's quite well known. And these were people who were not well known at that time to an American audience. In many ways, I've found myself inspired as a writer by publishing other people. Not that I'm copying what they do, but that the energy I feel from their work um, gives me energy to do my own work, and it is indeed a delicate balance. I'm doing uh, less editing and less publishing now than I did 20 years ago because I'm doing more writing and more storytelling now. But I think it's part of my journey as a writer and a storyteller and part of my learning what my craft is to have been part of uh, the publishing of other writers and the um, sort of presenting of other voices to the larger public.
0: You said before that uh, some of the best stories are those that tell people how to act toward the earth and and toward each other. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the importance of having a message like that in a story as opposed to perhaps maybe just something fictional that's intended to engage the imagination.
1: I think that you cannot classify any piece of work is just purely written for a purpose. I think the purpose emerges from the work as it goes along, and I certainly do not mean to uh, put down or diminish the importance of work that does not have that kind of aim that I'm describing. This is just my own personal approach. Mm -hmm. But I do feel that there is something that is found in traditional storytelling. The storytelling helps to strengthen the culture and the individual. And I think that literature can do the same if only by awakening the imagination and making the possibility of seeing other perspectives more real within your life.
0: Let me ask about your book, Sacagawea, and um, Mm -hmm. this is a a character, a historical figure who is fairly well-known, who has been uh, written about uh, over the years. What what would you say is the perspective that you bring to the table with, with this book?
1: I tried in that book to do two things. One, to present the story from more than one point of view. We have two ears, so we can hear two sides of every story. So the chapters in the book vary back and forth between um, William Clark's voice and Sacagawea's voice. Clark's voice is that of a man who's keeping a journal and writing. Sacagawea's voice is that of a woman who is a storyteller and telling stories to her child as a way of understanding the journey that she was on. So making the book a story told to a child from those two different storytelling perspectives, I think, gives it a different uh, depth than just uh, telling a novel uh, approach where there's a a single narrator, maybe a third-person narrator, the first-person and the dual first-person approach, I believe, was effective in making someone experience the story in a more rounded fashion.
0: And and are those perspectives in contrast with each other? Are they are they in harmony? Do they uh, do they complement each other? I guess is what I'm trying to ask.
1: I think complement each other would be the right way because, of course, no two people ever see anything the same way. And uh, there's the European perspective, and there's a native perspective, there's a male perspective, and there's a the female mother of a child perspective, <laughs> which are very different, and yet they are definitely telling the same story. And what I tried to do in the novel was to be very true to the primary sources, that is the journals of Lewis and Clark, um, to the native traditions that are reflected in that, including that of the Shoshone people. And I worked with and was advised by Wayland Large, who is the tribal historian of the contemporary Shoshone people, the nation that uh, Sacagawea herself came from.
0: When you have the opportunity to interact with your, your readers and your fans, what do you tell them? Do you offer them advice, um, in particular if they're thinking of pursuing a path uh, that's similar to your own?
1: Mm-hmm. Do what you love. If you want to be a writer, it's something that has come to you and it's something you enjoy doing and something that means a great deal to you. Follow that path, but understand that it's a long journey. Uh, Geoffrey Chaucer, many, many years ago, said the life so short. To the craft's so long to learn. You know, life is short, it takes a long time to learn to be a writer.
0: I'll bet he sounded exactly like that.
1: Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but indeed, uh, we as human beings have to be patient with ourselves. And that's another thing I tell our young readers and young writers. Don't be impatient. Recognize that everything you do is done a step at a time and that it's not a weekend seminar. Life is never a weekend seminar. And if you're going to climb a mountain, you have to do it one step at a time.
0: I'm talking about Chaucer and things that happened centuries ago. I was just uh, uh, looking again at your bio and it seems that you are a true renaissance man. I understand you're also in a musical group with some members of your family.
1: Yes, we have a group called the Dawnland Singers and we both uh, both my son Jesse and I, actually my sister Marge also, we all compose songs and do both traditional songs and original ones. Uh, use the Abenaki language and the, interla- and the American, in, the uh, English language is called <laughs> yes. uh, interchangeably, and uh, it's a great deal of fun because I think music also touches people in a way that uh, each art form has its own particular ability to touch the heart and the spirit and music is particularly inspiring in that way.
0: And do you combine all these different formats in your performances? Will you have uh, readings in between songs? or how, I, how do you juggle all that?
1: Yeah, I usually bring along a drum and a flute and uh, do a welcoming or greeting song to start things off, do some storytelling, perhaps read a bit from some of my work. Uh, and in general, I don't plan ahead that much. I really let the audience and the moment tell me what to do. And I think that kind of approach is uh, often characteristic of elders I watch who, who don't everything prepared, but they get up and trust that the words will come to them in the right way, and they almost always do.
0: Well, we're looking uh, forward to getting a little uh, bit of that firsthand at the National Book Festival. What, uh, what will we get to see or hear from you there?
1: Well, I'll probably be talking a bit about my newest books, a Buffalo Song, which is about uh, a native man who helped save the buffalo from extinction, and... Uh, March toward the thunder, of course, my novel about the civil war i'll do some storytelling and some music, and I uh, will just see what people want me to do and try to uh, try to satisfy their requests.:
0: <laughs> And when, what is coming up next for you? What is on your creative horizon
1: Well, I'm working on a, the text for a graphic novel right now I've uh, just uh, started working on a actually a libretto for an opera that the Minnesota Youth Opera wants to do based on some of my traditional stories. And I've got a couple of movie projects underway. I'm finishing off a documentary film with a friend of mine about the life of Jim Thorpe, the great American Indian athlete. That will be all we expect on PBS sometime next year.
0: It sounds like you have just about every form of cultural expression covered.
1: Well, and I'm also working on a new, uh, a new CD of music with my, uh, with my family.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Joseph Bruchak, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, and may your journey be good. I appreciate that. And once again, we will get to hear more from you at the National Book Festival on Saturday, September 27th. That's on the National Mall between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. As always, the event is free and open to the public. If you'd like more details and a complete list of participating authors you can visit www.loc.gov bookfest. This is Matt Raymond from the Library of Congress. Thank you for listening.